Hey everybody, welcome to the next episode of the Strand Tennis Center podcast, filled with tips, advice, tennis, not tennis, just life advice too, whatever you need. Uh, like it on YouTube, share it on uh, the podcast as well. Thank you. Hi everybody, welcome to the Strand Tennis Center podcast. I am Steve Capo, I am your host. Uh, we are live again, like I always say, phone may ring, things may happen, I will go with it. We call that, what do we call that, Santi? Begins with a U. Utilization. Whatever happens, you use it. Somebody never. walks in, you use it. You don't panic and freeze. Yeah, I never would have gotten that. <laughs> you would have never. Utilization. I have other quizzes for you, Santi. We are going to discuss today how to organize the proper tennis program. Okay? Cool. From kind of soup to nuts. How do you formulate a tennis program for, number one, for people that come here more than once a week? And then we'll do something pared down. It would just kind of be a program light of that. So if somebody comes here, so first, if somebody comes here multiple days a week, you want to create a program that, I'll give you a few parameters on what we believe in in teaching. And at best, the best way I can describe it is it's, how's my mic? Is it loud enough, Santi? It's form-based practice instead of match-based practice, if you know what that means. What so, does that mean? Explain to us. You're so funny. <laughs> Explain, Mr. Rogers. So it's form-based instead of game-based. So we kind of lost, and it's kind of uh, both podcasts that I'll talk about next week, too. It's kind of the reason why we kind of lost our way in the U.S. is we're not teaching fundamentals anymore. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to play but we don't have a good solid base of fundamentals. So you need to use form-based practice probably 80% of the time and game-based practice about 20% of the time. I know they always say, you know, all these analytic guys, and I was reading an article, say, oh, we need to work on more strategy and blah, blah, blah. But if you can't hit the ball right, it doesn't matter what kind of strategy you have. If you can't implement it, you don't have the tools. If you want to build a house and you have no tools, it's Mm going to be a bit of a problem. So we try to formulate a form-based practice where, say, Monday, and I wrote it even down so I remember, let's say three days a week. Let's say it's, let's do an overall program of six days, and you can pare it down. I'll pare it down inside an hour. Let's say it's six days, three and three. Three of those days are all going to be form-based. You're just going to work on racket angle, racket speed, form, unit turn, Pushing, uh, pushing through the ball, racket acceleration, my spacing. And footwork is developed just by doing that. You don't have to sit here and do footwork drills all day. Mm-hmm. If you can do a drill where they move their feet, do a technical drill where they have to move in and move back and up. But this, this form-based practice doesn't mean they're not moving. That will work on all their footwork. You don't have to spend a, another day saying, all right, we're going to work on footwork drills. So you should spend three days of work a week doing that form-based practice. And the only way to motivate kids to do the form-based practice is to have some guts and not worry about your bottom line and don't let them do the game-based practice. They Mm -hmm. have to do both. If they don't do the form-based, they can't do the game-based. Everybody everybody would say, oh, I just want to do the three days where we play games. Well, then you can't. You can't join our program. You got to be willing to say, again, no to short-term money and say, this is what we want. 
So you would spend a good, if you say there's two hours in each session, you would spend two hours of those three days a week working on form base. The next three days can be game-based with a technical flair to it. So you do so, sort of like a change of direction drill where they'll have to have two cross court and the third one down the line. They can play out the point. So they're still working on like consistency, changing direction, changing the rack and angle to change it, but you're doing it in a game setting. And then you can play straight games after that. You can play, you know, you can have some fun. You can play some King of the Court. You can play some super tiebreakers. You can play uh, some doubles King of the Court, some one-bounce doubles, which is a great game, too, where you're serving, coming forward. It, it only can bounce once, being that the server serves it and it bounces. After that, it cannot bounce. All those games are great. The only way to really improve and get your student better is that technical side. And the problem with working the technical side, it's on both ends because it's a, it's, a, it's a battle of wills. It's not fun for the pro either sometimes to work on technique for two hours. It's a lot easier for the pro to give them, let them throw the ball in and walk around and say, hey, let's do some live ball games you guys play and I'll comment. Uh -huh. But what you put in is what you put out. Garbage in, garbage out, they say. You have to, have to get these kids to have a solid base and a, a solid technical base, and then everything else becomes a lot easier. Then you can work on a lot of other different things and nuances, and it's not so difficult because you've seen it a thousand times, Santi. You, uh -huh. you do a clinic, they go and play, and these kids still can't serve. They all have palm-up serves, they have the wrong grip, and you're playing anyways. It's just not good. you got to stop them. you got to put them to the side. you got to have them serve again. That is a battle of wills. It's a lot easier to just let the kids start the point with a palm-up serve, let them play a point, they feel good about themselves. Because it, it's very difficult. It's not mm -hmm. easy teaching. And, and it shouldn't be. Anything that is, you know, worth striving for, anything that's difficult, I mean, anything that's rewarding becomes difficult. You can't, on the teacher side, too, I have taught students, and it's just a question of, and we were just outside with 40 kids, it's a battle of wills. you got to keep repeating because, again, they're young, too. They don't have the, the cognitive ability to, to listen all the time. They're just more distracted. Younger kids are more distracted. They want to do other things, and it's your job to will them to listen. You can say something to a kid four times in a row, and it's just not register. It's just the way it goes. And it's your job to say it the fifth. It's not your job to go, well, these kids can't listen. Well, yeah. most kids can't listen. It's very rare to see a kid, I uh, forget what they were, I think it was Michael Chang or whatever it was. He was like, you know, 13 years old. He was like, you know, practicing at 6 a.m. and super focused and blah. That is a 1% person. That's why they go to the pros and that's why they are successful. Most kids are are going to have trouble understanding, listening, and getting it, and figuring out what you're saying. The first two times, they probably won't even understand it. The third time, they'll understand it, but they wouldn't really listen. And the fourth time, maybe you'll get both. They'll listen and understand it. But it's your job to say it four or five times. And I think that's what teaching is. It's just willing yourself to them and really understanding 
that it's time and pressure with the student. It's so easy to give up. So that's a form-based program. So if you did it with an hour, so some kids here come one day a week. Most of them do. So if they come for an hour, you're going to have to work on that form for a good 40 minutes. Close to it. And sometimes we don't. You're looking at me even like that because some of you guys, and um, our staff included, will get to it maybe in 20 minutes. We have to work on our form for longer because we're doing it, we're doing it, an injustice not getting that form correct. Okay. So the games will become a lot easier. They've this USTA, they've tried they try to do a lot of things, you know, they try to experiment with the kids and you're not feeding a ball and you're always moving around and walking and they're tossing and feeding and catching with each other. It's good for maybe one time inside the program, but what happens is you're not really really they don't toss the ball properly to each other. It's hard for them to catch. It's hard to all those things. Uh, you're going to have to, at one point, just feed some balls. Make sure that you're getting through 500 balls in 40 minutes because the hopper holds 350. You can get through 500 balls of stroke development, and that's huge. And I wouldn't even worry about the footwork because, again, the footwork comes with the stroke development. If you're moving them left or right or side to side, they'll figure out. It's like anything. When you, used to, when you were a kid and you ran to a ball – no one told you, listen, take four steps, open up your left foot, and pick it up. You just run to the ball and get it. So right. that's how you have to teach a kid. They'll run to the ball accordingly yeah. because you just tell them to turn their shoulders, do a uniturn, and move to the ball. They're going to move. Mm-hmm. So you just get them set in that uniturn position and make them run, and they'll figure out their feet. So I would say 40 minutes. Then you can start the last 20 minutes, and the 40 minutes includes a serve. Oh, okay. Yeah, so the last 20 minutes can be some game-based strategic stuff. Not super strategic, just some game-based stuff to see if they can consistently hit the ball back and forth. That's all we're looking for. We're looking for them to control the ball, not have such an extreme Western grip, a little bit more semi-Western to Eastern, because that's really what they hold. If you noticed, like Beyond Borger, they always thought he had a Western grip. Grab me that racket, Santi. So he, they always thought Borg had a Western grip. It really wasn't that Western. It was more Eastern. His elbow was so out that you thought it was Western. It's really Eastern, and, and Lendl had a big Eastern grip. I remember my friend was, like, one in Brooklyn at one point, and Lendl came to one of his clubs, and he said, hey, kid, and this was, I don't know, we were 30 years ago, right? He said, hey, kid, your grip is too Western, and he had a semi-Western grip, and he said, that's never going to work, right? He had an Eastern grip, Lendl, very, very flat and hard to hit, but it's gotten so semi-Western under the racket it's not really the proper way to play, and it's gotten that way. Um, so I would make sure the kids, the, the kids' grip aren't, isn't, so, isn't so Western or you're in semi, it's even closer to Eastern. And even on the volley, you saw Sampras. Sampras didn't have really a continental grip on the volley. It was a little bit more Eastern. And then he had a backhand grip. You have time. I'm not going to hit the camera. Don't worry, something. I'm good. It was, <laughs> it was more kind of an Eastern volley higher an eastern volley grip and then the backhand was a continental grip or it switched so this was the eastern volley grip as i lose my watch and it was a forehand and it was a backhand grip or continental grip uh so a lot of things are a little bit of a misconception so form is really important it's it's very important to learn the proper way because what happens is a 12 year old holds this kind of grip they start to go in because they can take take it up it's harder to hit it this way 
Yeah. It's easier to hit it this way when you're younger. Yeah. Then they win a couple of tournaments. And the parents, I told you, they don't want to change the kid's grip because he won the 12 and under yeah. green ball. Oh, and no. he's going to be Not professional, so we can't change the course or his path. Yeah. That's totally incorrect. You yeah. have to program it the right way because it's, again, don't get caught up with short-term gains. So if the kids only come here for an hour, form-based, play for 20. If, if, and, again, if they come here twice a week, do a hybrid. Do more form-based for one class. Do more. And, again, obviously, it has to be the same kids in the class. We're going to do an hour class for weekly kids. If a couple of kids come twice a week, but the other kids are weekly, you have to kind of – you're going to have to do the same kind of 40 minutes to 20 minutes. But you have to realize teaching – and I wrote a couple of notes here. More notes. More notes. You see how professional I am, Santi? Awesome. But – I think with teaching is we get lost. I think you got to treat tennis like basketball in the sense of targets. I think when you're younger and you see the court, you see under the court. You see it's big and wide, and you think the target is big and wide. It's actually high and small. When you teach a kid tennis, you got to teach them that they're shooting at a basketball hoop almost. So you give them a specific target. And you said you have to aim higher and specific to that target. So give them a hula hoop that's in the middle of the court so it feels like almost like a basketball hoop. So the hoop goes in the middle of the court, and they're aiming high to the one target. That's really what it is. And basketball is really simple, right? You're aiming for the target of the basketball hoop, and if it doesn't go in, you've missed the target. In tennis, we don't create enough of that target-based practice. It's just kind of like spraying and praying, and they're going everywhere. And that's what you really have to learn is that the target is high and specific. It's not low and wide. So teach the teach kids that, and it's and the, it'll change their racket control completely. They have to hit the target. The problem is a lot of kids are not accurate because you don't practice them to hit the target. You just practice them to get the ball over the net. That's just too general. You need the, them to practice to hit the specific target. And my uh, the other part about our program is. When you teach, there's two different things between teaching and coaching. When you're teaching, you're transferring information. When you're coaching, that's where the relationship comes. And you're kind of bringing out the student with the coaching. So think of teaching as the information transfer, but the coaching part is where you kind of, the student finds themselves that they would never find. They discover things they would never find inside your coaching. It's your ability to understand the difference. You understand the difference between you can go through a technical lesson, the person learns something, but you don't motivate them in any way to get something out of themselves. And that's the difference between teaching and coaching, and you always want to remember that. Um, that's a pretty simple way to look at how you should structure a lesson and how you should structure a, a program. So if you're starting anything, form-based is 80%. Game-based is 20%. And if you stick to that rule, those kids will start winning more matches because they'll have the tools to be able to play those matches. Don't worry about their results early on. Worry about their form. Worry about their technique. Worry about their racket angle. Worry about their grips, which are really important, especially the serve. The serve is the biggest problem. Like the forehand and the backhand, mm, we can kind of work with it the serve is really what i mean by a palm up serve 
is when they hold it like this. They hold it like a forehand, and they serve this way. You need to serve this way where the palm is to the ear. Palm up is very difficult to hit. And even Roddick used to do that, and he switched it. That's why he came straight up, because he was having a, he had a palm up serve, and he experimented and changed it. So think technique first. Think game-based all the way down the line. I hope it helps for a tennis program. Santi, anything to add about your teaching uh, history? Um, and I actually have a question. Yeah. So we're talking about kids a lot for that. When it comes to adults, right, who just want to, you're here for like, they're here to play for fun or it's like a group of them and they just want to hit the ball, yeah. but they can't hit the ball or they can kind of hit the ball, you know, but they more want to focus on, you know, playing points or playing, you know, rallying and stuff. How do you like structure that? Oh, I think, right? again, it, it boils down to the pro. And again, we're in a place where it's. 99% of the people are not worried about playing in college. Mm. They want to go and learn with their friends and maybe hit a couple of balls. And she don't want to get bogged down. A perfect example, we had a coach I worked with years ago, and he had adults that were just, you know, living locally and wanted to play. And he would sit him down with books and analyzation, and they were looking through albums of books. They were bored out of their mind, right? Yeah. Like, you have to understand your audience, too. Right. But... You want to be historically correct, not just have 90% fun because right. then they're not learning anything. And then they're going to be like, well, I haven't really. In the end, after, four, say, a 14-week session and yeah. they can't still hit on their own, yeah. it boils down to you. So yeah. it's your job to morph yourself. So I've been in classes like that a ton of times. So they want to play. They're beginners or they're, right. you know, they're just starting. Inside the play. Yeah. I never stop giving the technical aspects of the stroke. Okay. So they're enjoying themselves, but inside it, I'll stop, I'll grab their hand, I'll switch the grip, and we'll go right back to hitting. Grab okay. their hand, switch that the grip. Sense. Don't let them just play. Right. Let them play, but inside of it, you're giving them all this technical stuff. Right. And that's what happens with pros. They let them play, and they don't say anything. Mm. They never get better. Right. Because you're feeding the ball, and they're like, oh, we're hitting. They're not really hitting. You probably fed 100 balls. They probably kept two in, but yeah. it feels like they're playing. So it's your job to morph that lesson and still give 40, per, 40 minutes of technical advice inside the play. And then maybe for the last 15 minutes, you can just let them do what they want, not say much, because, again, with a lesson, people get tired of people talking all the time. Mm. You say a thousand things, it annoys the hell out of them. It gives them too much yeah. information. But inside that play, technical, technical. I'll say, you know, hitting zone through four balls, right? Uniturn, racking it up, head-to-head -head take back, drop the wrist. All that stuff is technical things inside their play. So I think that's how you can do a lesson like that. Because, we're, yeah, we're in an area where people don't want to be bogged down yeah. and be like, you know, wait a minute, study these charts right. and get back to me for the test. They'll be like, well, are you crazy? I want to have a good time. And that's why tennis, in general, loses itself to a lot of sports uh, because it's, and again, this is why pickleball is more popular than tennis right now, Yeah, because it's easier. Yeah, How much, you know, you do a beginner pickleball lesson, right? Time. How quickly yeah. can the people start to rally with each other? Mm. After, I don't know, half an hour? Yeah. Yeah, right? half an hour. You get a rookie's class here for our club, it'll take them six weeks to be able to really rally yeah, with yeah. each other. Yeah. And that's what it is. It's, it, well, it's, this, 
that's the society we're in. People don't really want to deal with any type of friction. Right. I'm telling you, it all boils down to the phone. Because I can order something in three seconds. Mm. I want everything with no friction. I want my tennis with no friction. I want to learn with no friction. That's why pickleball is through the roof. Pickleball is like tennis was in the 70s. 70s, when you go outside, you couldn't get a court. You'd have to wait. It was an hour. You'd have to play an hour and be off because there's people waiting online, just like pickle right now. Our society has changed. In the 70s, we were not, you know, we were not the superpower we are. We were a superpower, but not nearly as prosperous. We're so far away from all these great generations, like we said, that a sport like tennis, a lot of young kids don't like that friction. It's just so easy to pick up your phone. Yeah. And, and I'm telling you, it's from the phone. I mean, the phone's fine. Yeah. It is what it is. But that's why pickleball is so much fun and so easy to play. And that's, that's the friction. But if you're going to start a program, the best way to do it, and they're committed, and so what? You have 100 good students and not 500 ones that are just crappy and you're just handling them. You know what I mean? It's called a 1,000 True Fans, right? There's a, it's a great blog post. You just need a thousand true fans to have a life, right? A thousand solid clients that care and that want to learn. That's it. So when you think about a program, think of that. Hopefully this helps. Remember, work out today, Santi. Did you work out today? Uh, I'm going to go after this. I'm going to go after this. I worked yeah. out this morning. Oh, but did. Awesome. Hope this helps. Thanks, everybody. And uh, the answers and the actions, my friends. I'll see you. Hey, everybody. Hope you like the podcast. Please share it with your friends, anybody that you know, anybody that's into tennis, anybody that's into bettering themselves. Share it.